Welcome back to the Med School Tutors Podcast, where we draw on our proven results since 2006 to provide you with high yield tips and proven guidance to help reduce stress and give you tangible tools for success from pre-med through residency. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Good evening. My name is Leah Gober, and welcome to Know Thy Shelf Surgery Edition. You might recognize me from the OBGYN Know Thy Shelf Surge or Edition, and I'm repeating here on surgery. For those of you who saw me there, um, I actually do want to do surgery, so this is very exciting for me to be able to talk to you guys about this. Um, I'm a third-year medical student. I go to Mercer University in Savannah, Georgia, and I have been a tutor with MST for gosh, I guess it's been about a year and a half now. Um, and it's really just been an incredible experience. Um, MST has been a really great resource for me in both my learning and my teaching. And the students that I've met through working with them have stayed with me. So we're, we still talk, we still hang out. Um, and it's been a really great resource. So I'm going to talk to you guys about surgery today. We're going to cover some study schedule tips um, some resource categories, reviews, recommendations, all of these things are actually really important in surgery just because you don't have a lot of time for these things. Mistakes to avoid, things you might not want to do during your surgery rotation. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about med school tutors, about how we can help you, whether that's helping you uh, study long-term for a shelf or multiple shelves, or if it's just a one-time review session where you just need some advice, some professional tutoring, and then at the very end, we're going to do a live Q&A. So who we are at MST. It's one-to-one -one online tutoring. We cover everything from pre-med through residency. There are many, many years of student successes and success stories of students who are really struggling, and MST sort of brought them together as a team um, and helped them succeed. So that team that I'm talking about, it's med students like myself. It's residents like many of my friends and colleagues and it's attendings, and we're all accomplished teachers. Many of us scored in our top percentiles, and we're all sort of working together along with the MST team to help each student individually. So the first thing that I'm gonna talk about in terms of your surgery rotation is gonna be communicating with residents. So you really wanna introduce yourself. This is important because residents are busy, attendings are busy, and a lot of them don't have time to sort of you know, introduce themselves to you. So you really want to step up and say, hi, sir. Hi, ma'am. My name is you with your residents. You're going to want to touch base via text so that they have your phone number. They're going to be texting you when they need you or sometimes when they don't need you anymore. So you can go study and you really want them to have access to you as soon as possible. So if you can get their numbers the day before you start with them. So many of you will do like multiple weeks on a surgery rotation. I like to get their numbers on the day before or the week, at, the two days before. So I'll text them on a Saturday and say, hi, doctor, whoever, I'm working with you this coming week. Is there anything you want me to know before I start my week with you? Um, it shows them you're interested and there may be things that they want you to know. Like, do you want to find out on Monday morning that you were supposed to meet at 5 a.m. or do you want to know that, you know, Saturday so you can plan your weekend accordingly? You want to be proactive Make sure you see as many patients as possible on your own and with the residents. Ask for lectures. So another way to ask for lectures is to sort of ask for homework. So you sort of ask your resident, hey, is there anything in particular you think I should study up on or anything 
you felt like I could learn a lot from today, any patient in particular. And then they'll tell you, yeah, tell me about AKI tomorrow. And so that's sort of your chance to not only impress your resident and your attending by doing a little bit of reading on AKI, but also to get them to teach you. Um, and this is sort of goes into asking to set aside time to get your questions answered. So you can say something like, hi, I know we're really busy, but if you have time at the end of the day today, I'd really love 10 minutes to go over my notes or to talk about AKI. Um, and speaking of notes, you really want to spend time on your notes. So surgery more than any rotation so far, um, I feel this, the surgery residents actually used a lot of my note. So like we said, they're busy. They have to see a lot of patients and they have to see a lot of patients before a certain time. Many of them will be seeing um, these patients before like 7 a.m., before they hit the OR. So having a medical student who can actually go in and you know confirm a physical exam finding or also look at the wound, that's really important for them. Um, so spending time on your notes, making sure that they're concise, that they are, are accurate, um, Many residents will tell you never, never chart an exam finding that you actually didn't see. Um, and so actually putting a lot of time into your note will help your resident a lot. Um, and asking to participate in sign out. So not every institution allows their students to go to sign out. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with sign out, it's when the day team signs out their patients, the night team. So They'll take all of their patients and run through them with the night team just to give them an update as to like Mr. Brown is doing well, he needs this tonight, or he's, he's tucked in for the night, don't worry about him. Um, it sort of gives the patient's story for the day. So asking to participate in sign out and sign out one or two patients is really important because it helps you understand how as a surgical student and eventually as a surgical resident, you can sign out most efficiently and what's important to your residents and your attendings. You really wanna put time into the small things. So all of these residents are also people. They're just like you and me. They're just busier right now. Um, you really wanna get their story. So ask them if they're planning on specializing or did they do want to do general surgery? Are they doing CT surgery? Do they plan on specializing from there? Um, how did they end up in surgery? How can their story help you understand if this is the right path for you? Um, try to figure out if they ever considered anything else, because if you see similarities in yourself and a resident, finding out what else they're interested in might help you understand what led them to where they were right, are right now. Knowing their glove size. All right, y'all. This is something that I have found to be invaluable. So if you go through my phone right now, you can find the residents in my hospital and in their contact information, it will actually say their glove size. And this is super important because often you will be the one who gets to the OR before them. If you are, then many times, so many hospitals will actually have the residents pull their own gloves or scrub techs. They, all, they come in all different shapes and sizes and flavors. Some of them will pull uh, gloves for you. Some of them won't. So it really makes a difference for your resident when they walk into the OR ready to go and pull their glove size and you say, oh, I got you. I already pulled a size six. So knowing the glove size is actually something that's really paid off for me and I think it'll pay off for you guys too. Um, know how to tie. So tying's important in surgery because often they'll, they'll throw a stitch and give you, the, uh, give you the tie and tell you to tie it off. And you really wanna know how to do it well 
because this is something that if it goes wrong, this patient's wound could dehiss later that night. I would never underestimate a tie and never complete a tie if you aren't totally sure that it's a good knot. So you never want to place a knot that you think might be weak because it could mean a lot for this patient. And the residents and attendings are putting a lot of trust in you when they hand you those strings and say, go for it. So it's never, it's never wrong to ask for help. Often you can say, hey, I know how to do this and I've done it a few times, but I really would like if you'd watch me the first few times to make sure that I'm doing it the way that you think I should be doing it. Or if you have any tips or tricks to help me do it better or faster, or where should I put the tension? Those are things that you really want to sort of ask your resident while you're tying, just in case, just in case you tie a slip knot instead of a surgeon's knot and just know how to tie or, or ask for help. So, so when you're presenting to residents and attendings, it's very different than, um, presenting on a lot of other services. Services like internal medicine, they're gonna to wanna to know a lot about your patient. Many of them will do either a problem-based, so they go through the patient's problem list, um, a problem-based presentation, or some do a systems-based presentation. So you'll start with neuro and then you'll go to cardio and pulmonology. So surgery is very different. It's very fast, it's very short. They're seeing all these patients before seven o'clock, they're waking them up in the middle of the morning night and you, you really want to get the most important information across in the most concise way. So your subjective objective assessment plan, that's our SOAP note that we all know and love. The subjective is going to be your sh the shortest one-liner. So for example, Ms. W, she's our 47-year-old female with history of CPD. She's post-op day one after a right VATS procedure. That's, that's your one-liner. You don't want to say much more. Even if she has a history of COPD, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and breast cancer. Breast cancer actually might be relevant here, so we'll put that one in. But, you know, you don't want to include all of those things because as relevant as they are to her post-surgical care and much of her pre-surgical care, they just it's really not as relevant to talking about we did this procedure on her lung. She has COPD. That's the, that's the important stuff to the residents and attendings at the moment. For objective, you're going to pay attention to certain things more so than you would internal medicine or psychiatry or family medicine, OB. So vitals are going to be one of the most important things for you during surgery. They want to know how the blood pressure is. Are, there, are they hypotensive? Are they hypertensive? They want to know if, they're, if they've had a fever so post-op fever is a huge, huge thing. And this is also something that gets tested on the shelf. So your objective, the first thing you should say, if this is true, is that they were afebrile, vital signs stable overnight. And then you can sort of go into stable doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't hypotensive or hypertensive. It just means they were stable. And you're going to want to talk about um, respiratory rate is important here. If it's abnormal, another, some more, some more like, I guess I sh this should have gone out, but the hemoglobin and platelets, these are two important lab tests that they really want to pay attention to. So post-op and pre-op hemoglobin is important. When you ever, whenever you take a lab value down like hemoglobin, you're going to want to put the one before it. So sort of the way that um, I structure my, my sign-out list is I put the hemoglobin in, the, in parentheses, I put the one before that. So they'll want to see the trend. There's an expected fall in hemoglobin after surgery, and they want that expected hemoglobin to be what reflect, is reflected in the labs. If it 
it's more, then that could be, really be worrisome and indicate some sort of active internal bleeding. Um, platelets are also something that you can sort of target in your uh, labs that are very important for attendings and residents to know. In terms of electrolytes, they're going to want to know things like um, potassium is a really big electrolyte they're going to want to know. As with most services, they aren't going to want to know if their sodium went from 135 to 137. It's just not really important. Um, but they are going to want to know things like their potassium is 7.0. That's a really high potassium, and you really don't want to play around with it, um, especially if they're pre-surgical. Potassium is big for before surgery, and they won't take them to surgery if their potassium is too high. So these are things that you want to pay attention to, and you want to present to the attending and resident when you walk in because it could alter their day and the patient's surgical experience. You want to talk about oxygen requirements. So many of us have an electronic medical record at our hospital that will tell us what the patient's oxygen is on. I encourage you from all of these things, when you walk into the room, look at the patient's oxygen. Like With your eyes, go to the wall and see where the oxygen is. Because often, nurses are really busy angels. They're busy angels. And they're running around everywhere. They have five or six patients. Many of them are immobile or need a lot of assistance. So oftentimes they'll change the oxygen requirement and they won't chart it. So you can walk in and it can say two liters of oxygen on Epic, but when you get in there, they're actually on three. And that's really important. That's something your attending needs to know. Not only that it wasn't necessarily charted, but also that it's been increased and their oxygen requirement has increased. So go look at the oxygen and then you want to report it as they're satting 96% on two liters of oxygen or they're satting 100% on room air. Ins and outs is another important thing that often nurses don't have time or sometimes patients don't report. So if a patient drinks a cup of water, they may or may not tell their nurse like, hey, I drank a cup of water. It was about 200 milliliters. So the nurse won't know to put in 200 milliliters into the chart. Um, or if they go to the bathroom, they might not say, hey, I peed about 900 milliliters. They may just flush the toilet. Many of them are not supposed to, and they know that. They have different um, like things set up in the bathroom to help them understand when they need to chart their ins and outs. But you know, the hospital is an imperfect place. Ins and outs may not be recorded 100% correct. So this is something you, you want to pay a lot of attention to. When you walk in the room in the morning to see your patient, you always want to ask them, have you, have you peed yet? Have you, like, have you had any output? Have you had any input? Um, any stools? How much? How many times? These are really important questions, especially because the bowel is some, one of the first things to go to sleep during surgery. So if, you, um, if your patient is having bowel movements right after surgery or urinating, that's a really good sign. Um, often they won't discharge a patient or not often, they won't discharge a patient if they haven't urinated or had a stool. So it's an important thing to, uh, to present to your resident attending. In terms of line strains and wound backs, this is another really important surgical um, thing to actually visualize. You want to walk in, you want to see their peripheral IV. You want to look at it, make sure there's no redness. You want to look at their drains. So many of these patients will have drains inserted into their wound areas that are like negative pressure, vacuum sucking, any extra fluid out. You want to look at these drains. This is another thing that 
are, is supposed to be charted, but sometimes it isn't, or they'll chart it every four hours and there will be 50 milliliters extra in the drain before they chart it. And so you'll see that first and you'll have that written down on your paper first. So you want to look at the drain, visualize it. You also want to look at their wounds and their wound vacs. So wound vacs are a common thing to put on patients. And then the wounds, you want to visualize it. So look at their at their suture line, look at their stitches, look at their um, staples. You want to see if it's falling apart. Of course, that's really important. You want to see if there's any liquid oozing through it. You want to see if it's dehissed, um, if, it's, if there's pus coming out of it. These are all like obviously really important. And they're also things that you might see first. So remember when we talked about getting that resident's phone number? I want you to get that resident's phone number out if you see any of those things and text them and say, hey, room 501 has like a dehissed wound. I really think you should check on it. These are things that the residents may not get to before you do because they're on patient number two out of 10 and you only had to see two. And one of those is nine and 10. So you play a really important role as students in this capacity, um, laying eyes on the patient, touching them because so much can happen after surgery and the timeline is so just dramatic. Every like hour can change. Every minute can change. So you seeing them in the morning, um, you can often be the first one to catch things. And then your assessment plan is going to be very simple. Also, um, many of them will just be Miss W is our 47-year-old female with a history of CPD post-op day one after a right bats procedure. She's doing well and is ready for discharge. That's a perfectly fine assessment and plan. If you're repleting potassium or giving a, a, a unit of blood, you want to say that here. This is the, the best surgical rotation. So it's so, so worth it to put in the work to have a good time. All right. So a day in the life in the hospital. So many of you are not going to be able to have this experience or this full experience because of COVID-19 interrupting your rotations. That doesn't mean that you can't at least understand what will happen when you do get the experience. And we are all eventually going to end up back in the hospital, we hope, right? So many of us will have this eventually. Just knowing what it looks like is really valuable. So you're going to get there really early. Um, 5.45 is actually a little bit late. Uh, many students end up getting there a little bit earlier than that. Like I said, you play a really important role here. If you see any concerning vitals, if they were febrile all night, the night team will probably know this, but just in case, or if they just spiked a fever, these are things you want to text your resident. Um, then from 7.30, about 7.30 onward, you're going to have a ton of fun. You're going to be in the OR a lot. There are some special situations where you might not be in the OR this early and for this long. Um, trauma is one of them. So trauma, as you know, sort of comes and goes. Um, so often you'll be waiting in the student lounge or waiting in the trauma bay for the next trauma to come in intermittently. Um, nights is also similar to trauma. I don't know. Uh, my institution does nights. Some institutions don't do a night, a night shift. I think it's really valuable just because it's very similar to trauma. And it's, um, it's a really great time to get to know the residents. So because there's not a lot going on, um, patients are more likely to be asleep. Any surgery that happens is like a really fun, exciting surgery. So on trauma and nights, you're, you're obviously going to have a different schedule. Be ready to be asked questions in the OR. So I'm sure you guys have heard about being pimped. Um, it's always a good time. I've come to everything from how far away is the moon to um, who invented the piano key and why is it called a key. 
Um, they like to ask questions like the different layers of the abdomen, like campers and scarpus fascia. You really want to know those details. Anything pertinent to the patient. So um, multiple times I was asked, like, how old is this fistula? How long has this patient had it? What is the scar from? Do they have a hysterectomy or, you know, so they'll ask really relevant questions and then they'll ask really irrelevant questions. I, I now know that the moon is like 230,000 miles away from us. So um, just something you log. So then intermittently, I put from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. just because this sort of ranges. But during this time period, you're going to go see patients. So you may they may not do this in between surgeries. A lot of physicians do it in between. Some do it after and some do it before. So this is really random. Sometimes you'll make it. Oftentimes my surgical residents were like, listen, you can round with us or you can go see that surgery. And you guys know where I was. I was off in that OR to see that surgery. And then from afterwards, you're going to want to go home. So this is really important. This is a really important part is to exercise, to chill out, to actually do something with people you enjoy eat dinner, sleep, studies in there, but I actually don't know how much studying you should do from six to nine just because you're so exhausted from the day. Um, and you're going to get that intermittent studying. So which brings us to our last point, just bring a book. You're going to have downtime and you really want to use it to your advantage. So your role as a student, one of your most important roles is going to be to go to the pre-op area and find your patient. When you find them, you want to introduce yourself like, hi, my name is Leah. I'm student doctor on the surgery team. I'm going to come in on your surgery today. I'm here for you. If there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know. Any questions I can answer, I can, you know, ask my attending or ask my resident to help fill you in on those. So always introduce yourself to your patient. Always know their name. Many, I, I have been in a room before when a resident asked a student, what is our patient's name? And they didn't know. And the student was asked to leave the surgery. So know their name, know their details. And then you're sort of just going to hang out with them usually for a little bit. So you stand outside their door, you watch anesthesia come in and out. You sort of, you can be the guide that tells their family member where the waiting room is. And you just sort of hang out and wait. And then as soon as they start moving, you text your resident and say, we're rolling. We're rolling to the OR. We're rolling to OR7 or we're heading back now. So in between this time, when you're sort of just hanging out, this is your prime surgical study time. So this is when you want to pull out your Kaplan book, pull out your phone, pull up Amboss or UWorld or Anki flashcards, and you want to take these like 10 to 15-minute increments and capitalize on them because those 10 to 15-minute increments are going to add up. Um, and these are going to be times when you have to be on, your brain has to be on, so when you get home and if you have to just exercise, chill, eat dinner and sleep, that's fine because you'll have gotten at least an hour and a half or more of studying in, in these little increments that you've built up. So since many of you will be doing or have done part of your virtual clerkship, this is also sort of a day in the life. You've got these synchronous case-based discussions and didactics that institutions are putting together. Many of these are really personalized and given by attendings that really know what they're talking about. Because they're on Zoom, they're actually having to use a lot of different PowerPoints and stuff that they normally wouldn't, maybe wouldn't use, at least from the ones that I've seen. So I think this actually puts you guys at an advantage of sort of having this person's attention sort of one-on-one. -on -one. 
the asynchronous cases are going to be more like the New England Journal of Medicine, CPC. There's the Journal of Hospital Medicine. A lot of institutions have you do the aquifer cases. Uh, mine does. We all know and love those. Um, and then there are institution-specific cases and, and different didactics that sort of go on. You've got a big component of e-medicine and telehealth going on. A lot of your post-op surgery patients might be having e-medicine and telehealth follow-ups. So instead of coming into the hospital in two weeks, they're going to ask them to follow up via telehealth. And being able to experience this is, um, is really important because we all know that like, CS is sort of in this up, we're not really sure what's going on with it. It may or may not come back. Um, but if it does come back, a huge component of it is probably going to be telehealth. So getting some experience in this could really pay off down the road. Then there's this, this real emphasis on self-led learning outside of the conferences. So you're going to have a lot of conferences back-to-back -back and gaps in between. And that those gaps, you really want to capitalize on, on self-led learning. So on, on taking the initiative to say, we went over six patients this morning and many of them had this issue, so I really want to study that. Or if you know that the next didactic or discussion is going to be over a certain topic, you can study up on that. A note on this, um, many institutions, because of COVID, are actually moving a lot of their conferences, um, resident lectures, and MMs online. This is a really great opportunity for those of us who may not have access to those experiences outside of our home institution to get involved. So I encourage you guys to reach out to institutions, maybe start with the bigger ones, the ones near you, or even the ones that you're interested in for residency reach out and say, hey, are you guys doing any online M&Ms via Zoom or um, case-based discussions via Zoom that I could get involved in? Many of them will have you do a sort of HIPAA fill-out form, and then you can be involved in those. And that's, that could be really cool for you if you're interested in you know, a, a school outside of your state or a residency program that may be a little bit more competitive. It's a way to get your name in, and it's also a way to sort of like learn more about that institution. So this is actually, this can be looked at, I mean, obviously, this whole um, COVID has been really disastrous for a lot of med medical education, and it's really, you know, taken a toll on a lot of us, I feel for you guys. But this is something, this is a bright light that's come out of it, is that a lot of these institutions are sharing you know, educational content that they normally would have done in person. Um, and that's available to you and I now. So we should definitely take advantage of it. Someone asked, does that have to be approved by your institution first? I think that's definitely institution specific. My particular institution in my situation, no, I did not have to get it approved by my institution. Um, I did have to get it approved by their institution. So obviously if you have, you know, a case conference for your institution at 10 o'clock that you have to go to, and this institution's case conference is also at 10 o'clock, then you probably should, you know, prioritize your virtual clerkship. But if it's at 11 and you have an opening there, then you could really stack some on top of each other and get a really great learning experience while, you know, showing face at this institution. So I think that's something that you might want to ask the other institution first and say, hey, do you need approval from my institution? And if they don't, then... I'd say just go for it, but this is unsolicited advice. So maximizing your clerkship study time. So your free time is going to be limited on surgery. Very, very limited. We talked about this. Unlike step one, you've got a lot of options for step two and CK resources. 
and they're all sort of mixed together, but we're going to walk you through some of these. There's not like this glaringly obvious, you know, first aid was the glaringly obvious step one answer. There's not that same glaringly obvious shelf uh, step two and shelf answer. The learning resources that I believe will help you more actively learn are going to be things like question banks, flashcards. Always prioritize these over passive learning. Now, what do I mean by passive learning? Passive learning is when you sit and you read a book and you read about AKI for 30 minutes. Active learning is when you actually scratch the book and you do 10 AKI questions. And it's actually so much more valuable and you're going to get so much more out of an experience if you do 10 AKI questions, actively quizzing yourself, finding out things you don't know in the STEM, you do know in the STEM, things that present differently that may not be in that book. This active learning, you really want to make it as, you know, active as possible. Uh, flashcards do this and question banks do this. And so I, especially for surgery where you don't really have time to pull out a book and read a chapter, you're going to want to do this and start early. Cramming is not going to work. Unfortunately, um, it just doesn't, the time doesn't add up because that last week of surgery that you're doing, I don't know how many days you guys get off for your surgery shelf. I got one. Some institutions give up to a week and some give none. So I'm I feel for you guys, but um, if you start early, then you're, you're not going to need that extra time. We learned a lot when we did step one and applying those same learning styles to each, each uh, shelf is like a mini step one all over again. So, you know, you got to start early. You got to like take those 10 minute increments and make them add up to hours. And you can do that. Those pockets of time to study. We talked about those. That's going to be in pre-op. Um, it's best to have a book. So we'll talk about one of the main resources for surgery later, which is a Kaplan book. But if you can find a small book that gives you cases, that's, that's nice because it, otherwise you're on your phone. I think it sort of depends on if you're on your phone actively doing questions and you're really getting a lot out of it, then I'd encourage you to do that because that's more active. But if you feel funny, if you know the patient's family's there and you don't want to be on your phone staring at it, they don't know that you're doing questions. So if, you, if you're able to like grab a book, there's a Kaplan one that's really great um, that we, I recommend. If possible, you're going to want to try to link any didactics or cases to shelf studying. So unfortunately, in surgery more than anywhere else, it's actually really difficult to do this um, just because the shelf has very little to do with what you're going to see in the OR. The post-op and pre-op care has a lot more to do with the shelf. So even if you're not interested at all in the OR, which you should be because it's awesome, but if you're trying to understand how to do well on the shelf, the more content is going to be post-op and pre-op. It's going to be things like cardiovascular risk assessment, um, post-op fever. I have a list of things later that we can go over that I think are very high yield, but basically you're really going to try to link things up because otherwise it makes it harder to study and putting a face to AKI or putting a face to uh, atelectasis or a name or a patient, it really helps it stick a lot more. So everyone can remember that one patient that they had that had, you know, gastroschisis or whatever. So, you know, making those connections is only going to help you be a better learner. You want to stay connected to those who provide support and accountability. So these are your friends. These are your family. The surgery rotation is a marathon it's a days long, hours long, intensive marathon. So 
staying connected to people who remind you, you know, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if you're interested in surgery, is this something you can do? Is this something you feel like you can balance? Is it, is your free time something you feel like you're willing to give up? And do you still feel connected to these people despite being in the OR for 10 hours a day? So that's something that you really want to know before you decide to go into surgery. Um, and it's important to sort of get a feel for that during your surgery rotation. You want to keep an eye out for any institution-specific resources. Um, like I said, your attendings are sometimes the experts on these things. And often, I think my best lectures, hands down, have been some of the residents and attendings who took, you know, 10 minutes out of the day to talk to me about something that I, you know, normally wouldn't have put as much time into. And then too many resources can be as problematic as too few. So pick a question bank or two question banks and end it there. Pick a question bank and a book and end it there. You really want to minimize the amount of resources that you're sort of balancing during this whole thing. Speaking of resources, this is Dr. Pastana's. It's the surgery notes. He's got 180 clinical vignettes. It's super high yield. It, you'll see a lot of you world questions that are literally like taken from this book and a lot of uh, NBME questions also. That being said, your main resource always, always, and forever needs to be UWorld. So your questions always come first. It's the most perfect question bank ever. It gives you great presentations, many, many details, and then explains to you whether it's right or wrong. Often I tell students when they're reviewing UWorld questions, if you think you know it all, you're probably wrong. You're just not looking hard enough. There's something in that UWorld question explanation that you didn't know or that wasn't super solidified in your brain, you just have to really want it. So you really want to look for it, find it, write it down in some form, write it down on a flashcard, write it down in your smart notebook, read it again, like have that, really look for it. Have that desire to find what you don't know in a year-old question because especially if you've already done preclinical year in step one, you're going to breeze through these questions a lot easier than you would have when you started doing UWorld. And that's going to be sort of surprising. So you're going to be like, wow, I just blew through 20 questions. That does not make the review any less valuable. You know, the review is still as valuable. It's just, you really have to want it a lot more. Um, Blueprint surgery is a great resource. It's sort of like Dr. Pastana's. It sets up these clinical vignettes. It's a lot more detailed. So if you're looking for more details um, or complicated surgical presentations with, you know, more notes on the patient, that's what you'll find in Blueprints. Online MedEd is an amazing resource. It's free. I think it's Dr. Williams. He's a great, great lecturer. He really will tell you the important things. He walks you through surgery in a really mathematical way. So a lot of surgery is going to be how, many flu how much fluids do they need at what repletion rate, um, what volume can they take? He walks you through a lot of that. This is Pistana's and then internal medicine flashcards. So this is something that I think was a little surprising for me, at least, was figuring out how much of the surgery shelf and the surgery world was actually a lot of medicine. So that's why I said that the pre-surgical and post-surgical experience was really important for the patients to understand sort of Understanding those time periods really helped me on the shelf more than the actual OR. And that's why internal medicine flashcards are going to be super helpful. If you have time for those, I recommend them. Some supplementary resources, case file surgery is a great resource. Um, and then 
for any of you out there who are, you know, real gunners or really interested in surgery and you really want to get a good idea of what the cases are going to be like, a surgical atlas is what the residents use. It literally walks you through the surgery step-by-step. So it'll talk about, you know, laying out the surgical field, how you want to set it up. A lot of surgeons will say that like 90% of surgery is just setting it up. And they'll talk about the layers you're going to cut through. Once you get to the sternocleidomastoid, what are you looking for next during a carotid endarterectomy? And so it'll, it'll take you step-by-step step through that. It'll also talk about relationships. So if you're going to get pentan surgery, it's going to be like, all right, I'm next to the carotid. What is this nerve? And you want to know that answer. So it'll talk about those relationships and sort of show you exactly what it's going to look like. And then Ashcroft's is the pediatric version. Rutherford's is the vascular version. And there are multiple other versions. There's a general surgery version. A lot of the residents get these for free. First make friends with them, then ask them where they keep their atlases and if you can have access to it. AMBOSS is a resource that um, I sort of, it's, it's relatively new. I'm sure many of you have heard of it by now because it's sort of, you know, it's, it's really great and it's, be, it's making itself well-known. So I use AMBOSS, um, especially during surgery because UWorld doesn't have a huge amount of questions. So I think if you plan on using multiple question banks, which if you have the time and energy, I recommend it. I would keep UWorld for the times when you have like, you know, an hour of time or 30 minutes of time where you're alone and you're really focusing. AMBOSS would be something that I pull up outside of the patient's, you know, pre-op area. Something where people are moving around and things are going on, um, but they're more, not necessarily disposable questions, but they're just a little bit less important in terms of I know I can get everything I need out of UWorld. And AMBOSS is something that I know I can get most of what I need out of it. It has this really incredible library. So if you forget the mechanism of action of like metronidazole, instead of going to up to date and sifting through all of those, you know, thousands and thousands of pages of really detailed information or going online and trying to find it, AMBOSS, you can hover over the, the word it'll bring up the mechanism of action or it'll tell you a little bit about like what anatomical piece of the body that is. So it's a really great resource. I purchased it for second year. I recommend it for, or for third year. I recommend it for um, clinicals just because I find it to be more of a, um, more of a resource that you can sort of mow through on the side and then save your dedicated study time for you world. All right, we're getting there. You guys hang in. So some surgery study tips. You guys will see this, but there's this real philosophical shift from preclinical to clinical years where you sort of go from a lower emphasis on basic sciences to a greater emphasis on these complex diagnoses. There's this higher noise to signal ratio, so you'll get a lot more information and they'll ask for a lot more um, directive uh, questions. So they'll want you to tell them where to go next. What's the next best step? What am I looking out for here? What am I most concerned about? What is my patient most likely to develop as a result of this? And just a, a fun tip, rarely are you going to answer, go to surgery. So surgery is strange and that a lot of it's, you know, self questions are actually medicine. So the answer is not going to be take this patient to surgery often. Um, if you're sort of torn between choosing, let's go to surgery and let's watch and wait, Watch and wait is probably going to be the answer. Not all the time, but often it's going to be the answer. Um, 
some high yield information that you'll want to focus on for your surgery shelf. Acid base, they really love to walk through that. Knowing when to intubate based on acid base status is something that they, they'll quiz you on. Trauma resuscitation, so you've got your ABCs, um, airway, breathing, circulation. Multiple questions on the NBME and on UWorld will ask you, your patient comes in, there's blood everywhere, you know, they were in a motor vehicle accident, what's the first thing you do? And the answer can be as simple as assess the airway or maintain an airway or obtain an airway. And you really want to know your ABCs because you're going to get questions, right? If you do, um, post-op fevers, they like to ask about post-op fevers. So wind, water, walking wound, wonder drugs, wind is going to be atelectasis. If you get a fever in the first one to two days after surgery, your patient probably has atelectasis. Water is a UTI. That's, I think that's day three to four. Walking is going to be DVTs. Wound is going to be your wound infection. So that's not going to show up till about five to seven days after surgery. And then wonder drugs is later, um, a week plus. They're going to emphasize vitals. So I encourage you guys, when you're doing questions, always go back and look at your vital signs. If you read through a whole question, you're sort of confused and you're like, I'm not really sure where to go from here. If you go back and look and see that they're hypotensive, they have like a blood pressure of 80 over 40, then you better go down to those answer choices and cross out anything that does not involve resuscitating. If, if you need to put two large bore IVs in each arm and start pumping them up. And you can get that just by looking at vitals. So you don't really have to understand the patient's history of, you know, COPD and a 25 pack year of smoking and all of that jazz. If they have, are that hypotensive, they need some resuscitation. Um, and this is just like real life. So this is one of the areas where it actually does sort of overlap with real life. If your patient comes in and they're incredibly hypotensive, you're going to want to look at resuscitation. Maximize your UWorld. Uh, I talked about being on my phone, you know, and scrolling through the UWorld questions. Download the app. You're going to want to drill during your downtime. I used um, Amboss during this time. If you want to use UWorld, that's fine too. Your goal should be to complete the whole thing during third year. I... So some students say that they are, were told to, you know, go through them randomly. I went through them by clerkship. So my surgery clerkship, I did my surgery UWorld and my AMBOSS UWorld. My family medicine clerkship, I did both of those banks. Um, actually, family medicine doesn't have a bank for UWorld, but it does for AMBOSS. A lot of the questions are going to overlap with internal medicine, which is fine because they're very similar. Make flashcards. So I talked about this earlier. Um, I'm a huge believer in making flashcards from your year-old questions and then drilling them during the day. So Anki is my flashcard app of choice. Just fun tip for those of you who've never used Anki before. I did not use it before I started making my own flashcards. So it is possible to use it without being an Anki pro. It's possible to use it without downloading one of those, um, the Zanki deck or the Bros Encephalon deck. You don't necessarily need that to make a flashcard. And you don't need to be a whiz to make it because I'm doing it. So Memorang is another great resource. And UWorld has its own built-in flashcard app. This is really good for high-yield images. Um, I'm going to walk through these a little bit more. So flashcards are a really wonderful way of studying. It is the most personalized way for you to study your weaknesses. So when you get a question wrong on UWorld, I tell all my students, I want you to be scouring that explanation. And I want you to pick one thing not five, just one thing that you want to walk away from that question with. 
And that one thing, I want you to make a question on it. So this is important. I don't want you to copy and paste the words and say, you know, on the front, I don't want it to be post-op fever day one through two. And then on the back, say atelectasis. I want a question. So I want you to critically think about how am I going to get this question right next time? What information did I need? Did I need to know the five W's? Or did I need to know that atelectasis presents like this? Or did I need to know what atelectasis looked like on chest x-ray? So those are all three very different flashcards. If you just needed to know that it was day one to two, then that's one flashcard. And you really want to ask the question, like, if a patient presents on post-op day two with a fever and shortness of breath, what is the most likely etiology? And then on the back, I want you to say, you know, atelectasis and then have the five W's. So these are really great ways to quiz yourself. You can do UWorld and then make the note cards and quiz, them, quiz yourself during the day. It's really reinforcing all of those weaknesses that you, you, may you may not even know you have. Some people use a smart notebook. I, I like the smart notebook, but the issue, at least for me, is that I don't always remember to go through it. So an Anki set, I will always remember to go through but actually sitting down and walking, like reading through a notebook is a little bit harder for me and harder for some of us out there. And I really love that Enki just tells me, you know, you don't know this very well. You said like you put it as a one for the past three times. Like you really need to know this versus you actually do know this really well, even though you think you don't. So you don't need to see that again for 10 days or whatever. So Enki is a great, a great resource. Numbering is a great resource. Um, we use that at MST. And then UWorld, so I really encourage UWorld for making flashcards as long as you do not copy and paste. So the whole point of the making flashcards is to learn how to quiz yourself and sort of explore what did I not know about this enough to the point that I can actually ask a question on it. And then I know enough about it now to answer that question. So it's a huge like active learning process that's very convoluted and very high yield and pays off in a big, big way. So UWorld, if you're copying and pasting those phrases, which it lets you do, then that's really not utilizing your resources to the best extent that you can. Some people like to do that. If you want to do that, that's great. It works for you, especially with the images because you get that exact image copy and paste it over. For Anki, what I'll do is I'll make a deck and then I'll go back through later and I'll actually find another picture of atelectasis. So now I've seen two pictures of atelectasis, one on UWorld, one in my Anki deck, and hopefully I'll recognize it next time. Some other resources. Uh, the pretest series is a great, uh, another question bank that has a lot of questions. They're not as high yield as what we've covered so far, but if you run out of questions or if you have a preference for pretest over AMBOSS, I would be, I, that's a fine thing to sub in. The NBME for medicine, clinical science, is good for surgery because, as we've said, surgery has a lot of medicine in it, at least on the shelf. AMBOSS is that new kit on the block. We talked about that. I think it's really great. Um, and then the NBME surgery forms. So if you, especially if you want to honors in surgery or if you want to go into surgery, you'll really want to perform well on the shelf. NBME has, I think, five forms for surgery that you can do before. So your surgery shelf itself is going to be 110 questions and you're going to have two and a half hours to do it. And so the surgery forms, I think, are only 50 questions, but they give you a really good feel of the kind of questions that MBME asks. And as we all know, 
UWorld questions can be very different and give you a lot more information than the NBME questions. So getting used to that learning style in surgery, especially if you want to do well on the shelf is important. I think I did three out of the five surgery uh, forms before I took my shelf and I felt very prepared. So these 10 vary by clerkship, obviously prioritize UWorld, prioritize case files. Um, if that's, if you need a book, I would actually replace case files with um, Pistana. So prioritize UWorld, prioritize Pistana for surgery. And then some other resources. So if you're sitting at home and you're like, I just can't read, I can't do UWorld right now. There are some really great surgery podcasts. Behind the Knife is one where residents interview attendees and they'll interview them on um, sort of like a day in the life of a cardiovascular surgeon or a day in the life of a pediatric surgeon. They do it in different settings. So they'll interview a pediatric surgeon in academia versus a pediatric surgeon in rural Georgia. And you get to meet, meet all these attendings from different places. Um, and something really cool that you, you can do, they actually provide their information at the end of the podcast. So I've actually reached out to, um, I, I listened to a podcast and I was like, I really want to meet this person. They sound amazing. So I actually emailed them and they responded and we talked since. So it's a really great resource to sort of say, it breaks the ice. Hey, I heard you on Behind the Knife. You said some really intriguing things that I'm really interested in learning more about. I'd love to talk more. And you also know a lot about them because on Behind the Knife, they sort of delve into some of their personal life. Like what books are you recommending right now? Why did you enter surgery to begin with? And those are all like really cool things to know about people. JAMA Surgery has like really short 15 minute um, podcasts on different updates in the surgical field. A lot of them are really sort of brand new. Like we just had the, these outcomes data on, um, you know, tracheostomy after 48 hours versus after 72 hours, uh, thyroid surgery and that sort of thing. ENT expert opinion is another really good one. Um, and then audible bleeding is a vascular specific resource. So each of the specialties will have like their own specific resources. I think ophthalmology has a really great one. So um, just go, if you just decide to Google something, just Google, you know, pediatric surgery podcast and it'll come up with one. It's a great way to sort of, you know, like I said, break the ice with some of these surgeons and get to know people and also get to know like, do I want academia? Do I want to spend two days a week in the lab? Do I want to spend two days a week lecturing to medical students or do I want to just operate? So there's an IM podcast that's really great. I'm sure a lot of you heard of it, Curbsiders. It really walks you through how to be an intern. So if you're an intern and you're faced with this patient who is just fluid overloaded, what are you going to give them in what order? And it's internal medicine, but because it's internal medicine, it's also on the surgery shelf because that's what they've got to ask about. Core IM is another IM podcast that's good. And someone asked earlier, they said, um, I heard it's good to look up surgeries you're scrubbing into the night before. When looking these up, what source did you use? So initially I sort of just Googled, you know, like thyroidectomy steps. Um, about a weekend, I, I was good enough friends with my residents that I asked them to give me access to the Alice's. They gave me access and then I just went, I went to the Alice and looked up thyroidectomy and I came there were like three options for three different books that walked you through thyroidectomies. So that's what I would use. And in each of them, it'll tell you, you know, this, these are the incisions that you make. This is the pattern that you do. This is what you're going to approach first. Watch for bleeders here. It really helps you when the attending's pimping you on like, 
hey, what's this nerve that's running right here? Or what's my next step? Because often they'll tell you like, hey, you want to do surgery? What would you do right now? And then you have to tell them, you have to say, oh, well, I'd actually probably, you know, retract that laterally. And I'd explore to try to figure out where the carotid is so that I don't run into it later. You don't have to be right, but you, you do have to answer and answer in an educated manner, especially if you, if you looked things up with that before, then, then you'll be able to, um, to answer those questions better. Also, if you don't have access to Alice's or your residents don't, or they aren't able to share them with you because a lot of institutions make rules about that, just knowing a ton about your patient can make up for not knowing, you know, the next surgical step. You could say something like, well, I, you know, I think you retract laterally, but she did have that clavicular surgery, you know, 10 years ago. Does that change anything you're going to do right now? And that's sort of, you know, leading them away from the fact that you didn't know the answer to the question. And also putting in this information that I know this patient really well. I know that she had this surgery. I know that it's on that clavicle. So these are things that you can sort of make up for if you don't have access to Alice's or you can't find a lot online. YouTube is a great resource. So YouTube has a lot of videos of surgeries. So you can just look up thyroidectomy. Some of them are going to be really fast and they're going to walk you through it. But if you watch enough of them, you'll get many of the steps if you don't, like I said, have access to those really great surgical atlases. So some closing advice, stay positive. This is a really tough rotation. You've accomplished so much so far and you're gonna have so much fun. I heard um, during second year, a lot of the, the older, my older classmates said to me, you know, the best day of, or the worst day of third year is better than the best day of, of preclinical years. And I find that to be very, very true. So it's just so much fun. Patients are so much fun. Um, surgery is so much fun. You guys are going to have a blast. For those tough days, remember there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You want to take it one day at a time, one patient at a time. Be confident. You put so much work into this and trust your instincts and use the people around you. Like stand on the shoulders of those giants. They are all around you and a lot of them are really willing to help. So just a little bit more about med school tutors. I encourage you guys to stay on because we're going to do that Q&A and you get, y'all can literally ask me anything, any questions you have, anything you're afraid to ask other people. I'll, I'll try to answer it on here. Any resource questions, I'm here. A little bit more about MST. So we do this one-to-one -one tutoring. A lot of it involves making like a custom study schedule. So it's very customized to you guys, to what you need whether that's step one, step two, um, or shelf exams. So we're talking weaknesses. We make timelines. We make progression calendars where we want you to be, where you should be. We have these adaptive tutoring sessions. We can pimp you guys all the time, talk about you know anything you want to talk about, any weaknesses you feel like you have, we can talk through. We have a lot of uh, content review, assessment review. A lot of what I do with my students is actually just like test taking review and how to take a test, what signs to look for and questions that if you just take a step back and you know, like we talked about earlier, look at that blood pressure, you know the answer has to be resuscitate. Even though they sort of confuse you with this whole psychiatric history and you're maybe thinking primary polydipsia or something random, just look at your pressures. So. There's also this regular communication between sessions. So some of my favorite text messages that I've gotten have been students saying like, oh my gosh, I just got a question right because of that session that we had. Or 
wow, we talked about this, like this nerve being injured in surgery. And I actually got pimped about it today during my surgery. Um, and I got the question right. I love getting text messages that are pictures of, of questions that are like, Hey, I literally just got this question right because we talked about it and we totally went over every single aspect of it. We're here for guidance. We're here for accountability. We're here for planning and mentorship. I have two students right now that I check in every single day and say, Hey, how did your questions go today? If they haven't done them, they're like, Oh, shoot, let me get on that. If they've done them and they're having trouble, they're like, listen, they went okay. But like, I have questions about this one in particular, and I'd really love to cover this content later. So it's incredibly personalized. It's, it's a team effort. So it's not just you and me. It's not just the student and the tutor. It's MST has this incredible team behind them of all these administrators and these coordinators, and they're really trying to help you succeed. They're really awesome. They're a really awesome group of people, and they're constantly keeping us updated. They're keeping you updated. So we offer strategic planning sessions. We offer step two. We offer step three. We offer ERAS. Anything you guys need. I know ERAS is going to be weird this coming year. So if anyone's like finishing up their third year or concerned about what ERAS is going to look like next year, we're here to answer any questions that you know they have about, you guys have about ERAS. Like I said, our administrators are amazing. You guys can ask um, if you want to work with a specific tutor. All the profiles are online and honestly, they're all absolutely amazing. Um, so if you guys have any questions or you just want to hear more, like what can you offer me in particular? So if you, you know, thought, hey, Leah did this webinar, but she didn't really cover this aspect of tutoring and I think I might need that. Do you offer that? Do you offer something similar? Do you think I would be a good fit? Um, the team is great and they're really willing to help you guys out. So I'm going to start answering questions now. So someone asked about David Gilio's as a resource. It's an awesome resource. It's amazing. If you have time to read it, it's really great. I read it a lot when I wanted to learn more about a surgery, but I didn't have access to the step-by-step -step sort of outline. I also sort of read it because I, I wanted to feel like I read a book and, you know, Kaplan isn't a, a full book. It's more just like a, it's a bunch of like one-liners, two-liners about a patient and things to remember about them. I think it's a great resource. Um, thank you. I should have mentioned that actually. So Divergilios is a great, a great surgical resource. If you have time, if you don't have time, then those other resources I mentioned are much more high yield. And obviously I would always say question banks first, question banks first. So someone asked um, about using a pre-made Anki deck in addition to the UWorld Anki cards. What was my workflow? How did you unlock cards or approach the whole deck? I mentioned that I didn't use Anki until I started making my own flashcards. But then once I did start making my own flashcards, I started using an Anki deck um, when I started third year. So I unlocked them as I went. I just did the surgery when surgery was on and I did internal medicine during family and then did it again during internal medicine. I didn't approach them all at the same time. I felt like that wasn't as efficient for me. And you, what you guys are going to find is that all of your resources are so different or all of your clerkships are so different. Like OBGYN is totally a world of its own pediatrics. Like even the pediatric lab values are different. So I think if you're going to tackle UWorld as a whole instead of bit by bit, then I encourage you to choose one resource where you're going to um, go through sequentially as you go through your clerkships.
All right. Someone asked about thoughts on surgical recall. Remember that slide where we talked about too many resources can be a little bit too much. So surgical recall, I would put it into the same sort of box as Divergilio's. It's a great resource if you have time to get to it. Before you start your surgical clerkship, I want you guys to choose your resources. Now this can change like one weekend if you're like, I can't read this Kaplan book. This is just like way too simple. I need more details. I need to replace it with something else. Case files, next. That's fine. But definitely before you start your clerkship, have an outline of I'm going to use these two question banks and then I'm going to use this book and I'm going to use them in sort of in this order. I'm going to use, you know, this book when I'm waiting outside the pre-op area, I'm going to use this question bank when I'm, you know, waiting for them to wake up and then I'm going to use UWorld after school or whatever, just to have an outline of where you want to use them. You can be, be flexible, but, um, surgical recall, I think I would put into the, in with Divergilio. Oh, so to clarify on how you unlock the surgery deck or unlock the surgery inquiry deck, um, I, I unlocked the whole thing at once. And I think that's, that's helpful because you may start at a different place in your world than you start in the inky deck. And I'm a believer in that active learning. So you're going to learn more if you see it, as opposed to if you plan to see it at the same time, if you see it intermittently. Um, so spaced repetition, and you can space repetition out by starting the Anki deck from the beginning and starting U World in the middle of surgery. Someone asked, when do you recommend buying U World for step two? It depends on when you're taking step two. So I started my surgery clerkship in July, last July, and I ended at about the same time, you know, COVID has messed a few things up, but I wanted to make it so I had a whole year. So you get it for one year. If you can time it so that you buy it and then know that you're taking step two before that's up, that's helpful. Then you don't have to extend it 30 days. So I actually think I waited two or three weeks into my um, surgery clerkship to buy UWorld. And during that time, I did AMBOSS that, those three weeks before. And that was literally just to time out my, to make sure that I had it at this time next year, which I'm really grateful for because, you know, all these rotations are sort of messed up now. So I have it just long enough now. So I think just make sure you look at when you're going to take step two versus when you buy it, but definitely have it. I would say don't go farther than like three weeks into your surgery clerkship. Mine was eight weeks. So I think if you don't go, don't go past the halfway line before you start using new world or a Q bank. So if you're using a Q bank before that, that's perfect. You want to be using some Q bank while you're doing it. What pre-made Anki deck did you end up using? Um, so I used Zanki. I think they're honestly all pretty, uh, the pre-made ones are all pretty equivalent. You just sort of run through them. And then I, I add my questions to that Anki deck. So this, my surgery Zanki deck is now actually like half of the original Zanki cards and then half of my cards that I made while I was in surgery and doing the U world um, and making those questions on it. So someone asked about the daily schedule if not on trauma. Oh, yes, it is confusing. So, so it really just depends on your institution. I'll give you a little bit more detail about mine. So we would get there really early, like 4.30 in the morning. Students go round on their patients alone. And then the resident comes and you round on their patients with the resident and you present to your resident. You then go to surgery at 7 a.m., 
from then on, it's really, at least at my institution, it was up to me how much surgery I wanted to go to. If I wanted to go around with my resident attending later, I could, but really I just wanted to be in the OR and the resident was really cool with that. He was like, it's your, it's your turn to experience this. So you go do, if there's a surgery going on that's on our service and you want to be there then be there. Cause a lot of the attendings work in conjunction. So they'll have like a general surgery team and there are three general surgeons. So one surgery is bound to be going on at least like at the same time. Um, many of you will rotate at institutions where you, um, you can be first assist and being a first assist is really cool. So if you ever have the opportunity to be the only one in the OR when your resident goes and rounds, you should totally do it because you're the one who's acting as a resident. And that's a lot of fun. You really get to know the surgeon well and you learn a lot. You have 10 minutes in between surgeries. So you'll take a patient, go back to surgery, do surgery, bring the patient back out, and then you'll go find the next patient. So OR times, ORs have to turn over and it usually takes them about 20 to 30 minutes to turn over. So from the time that you take your patient back, they'll start turning the OR over, cleaning everything up. And then your patient wakes up, you go find the next one. And it's that time in between your patient waking up and the OR being ready for the next patient. If they're going back to the same one, um, that's the time that you want to capitalize on. So that's, it's not always 10 minutes, but I think 10 minutes is probably the least amount of time you'll have. Sometimes it's like 20, 30, just use that time. Thank you guys so much. Y'all have been so wonderful. And if you have any more questions or any more particulars or specific questions that you want to hash out, please reach out to the headquarters. They're a really great group of people. If you want to work with a specific tutor, um, take a look at the profiles online. You can ask or request that. But if not, I think we're really all a great group of people. You guys were great. I hope I get to talk to some of you guys again. Uh, have a great night. Good luck on surgery. Y'all are going to have a blast. Bye, all. We hope this was helpful and that it helped take some of the guesswork out of the equation for you. If you have any questions or would like one-on-one -on -one tutoring, get in touch with us via our website, medschooltutors.com, via email, hq at medschooltutors.com, or give us a call, if you're old school like that, at 212-327-0098. Also, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and rate us on your podcast app. And if you want more helpful, free information, visit our blog at medschooltutors.com, check us out on social media at medschooltutors, or visit our forum at usmletutors.com. Thanks for listening. Be well. Be well.